Independent, totally biased, Hull Kingston Rovers. You are listening to the Red Robin Podcast with Joe Appleyard and Chris Johnson. Before we start, myself and Chris would like to thank you all for your support this year. Over 30,000 listens in 32 countries. Keep spreading the word as we head into 2022, which leads me to welcome you all to the end of season Red Robin podcast review. In this longer than normal episode, me and Chris discuss the Super League season as a whole. We pick our winners for our podcast awards. We discuss the positives and negatives of the season. And ultimately the fact that two French teams will be playing in Super League next year and how we move forward in 2022 after reaching the semi-final. And also the big issue of ins and outs at the club and recruitment. We are also delighted to be joined by Sky Sports' Jenna Brooks for the first part of the show as we get her perspective on Tony Smith and the entertainers and how the guys at Sky have enjoyed the first season back with fans in the grounds. This is the Red Robin Podcast with me, Joe Appleyard, Chris Johnson and Jenna Brooks. Enjoy the show, guys. Welcome to the 2021 Red Robin podcast, Hulkingston Rovers season review with myself, Joe Appleyard, co-host Chris Johnson. And in the first part of the show, we are delighted to announce special guest, Sky Sports reporter, Jenna Brooks. Jenna, really appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Um, to be honest, the last couple of days, I haven't really known what to do with myself. It's been such a long, intense year. And then when it just all finishes, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I can take a breath now. But I'm very good. And as I said, delighted to be joining you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Obviously, we'll go into the grand final. You've had a busy few weeks. She was in Perpignan, so was I. We'll speak about that semi-final. But before we start, obviously, the guys who watch you on the telly will know a little bit about you. But I think the problem that we have in the Northern Hemisphere is we don't have enough guys from Australia and New Zealand, you know, coming over. We have the players, but we don't really have commentaries coming over or reporters coming over. So for yourself, firstly, how did you end up, end up over in the UK and how did you... <laughs> in sports media and especially Sky Sports Rugby League? So I got involved in uh, sports media. I guess growing up, I've always been really sporty. I played, you know, pr I pretty much tried every sport there was. Um, and I fancied myself as a bit of a runner and a swimmer. And I had this lifelong dream of, of representing Australia in the Olympics. <laughs> uh, I wasn't good enough. That never happened. So I ended up... Um, after school, I, I did a journalism degree and I think I graduated from uni on a, the Friday and I started working at Channel 9 at the Wide World of Sports the following Monday um, in like an entry level position. I was like a production secretary, so kind of worked on, on the front desk at the Wide World of Sports, um, which was brilliant. And it kind of just grew from there. So I was there a couple of months and then I started hassling the reporters and uh, one reporter in particular, I'm not sure you probably wouldn't have heard 
um, of him. He's on Fox League now. He left Channel 9 to join Fox Sports. Tim Sheridan, he was an absolute mentor of mine. He used to take me out on shoots and he would do his job and then have me kind of shadow him and and um, kind of do do my bit to camera and kind of practice writing scripts and practice doing uh, pieces to camera and and all of that. And then um, I got a job working for Fox Sports News. Uh, I was there for a few years and then moved off to uh, SBS, which is like a free-to-air network, and I was the sports reporter um, for them. And then my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, he got a transfer with his job. Now, he works in finance, so a completely different industry. Um, but he got a transfer to San Francisco, uh, and he made the, mo- the, the move over. I think it, it must have been in 2010. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and he made the move in 2010. We kind of did a distance thing for, for six months. I finished my contract uh, with SBS. And then I moved over um, and we were there for about three years. And I think probably the final year that we were there, I started working as a, a freelancer for Comcast Sportsnet, which is similar to ESPN, but I guess more regional, covering um, just Bay Area teams. So the San Francisco Giants. Um, the Golden State Warriors. In fact, we were pretty lucky because while we were there, the Giants, who hadn't won anything um, in years, won, I think they won three World Series. So it was awesome. Anyway, so it started to kind of make waves in San Francisco. And then my my husband uh, said, oh, I've been transferred to London. So kind of had to start all over again in London. But I do have to say I was pretty thrilled to, to move to the UK because you know, my background, um, well, growing up, my father played rugby league, my grandfather played rugby league. So I didn't really ever have a choice. It was always kind of in the blood. Um, I used to play like representative touch and Oztag, never um, full contact. I couldn't tackle a ham sandwich, if I'm honest. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I was delighted to kind of come to London because I knew, you know, of the Super League and I used to follow it Um from a distance, from back home. I used to, you know, watch the um, the Challenge Cup finals and, and all of that. But anyway, so I got a gig at Sky Sports News and then met Steve-O um, and kind of pushed my way onto the rugby league team and have never looked back since. So I have the best job in the world and I know how lucky I am and uh, I just, I love it. I, I go to work with a big smile on my face and I get to watch rugby league and I get paid for it it's a dream literally the dream job obviously you speak about Steve Eddie and Steve that's all we knew for many years on the TV them guys you know what I think you don't appreciate good commentators sometimes and them guys got a lot of stick but I think now with the transition you've got the likes of Stuart Pike coming obviously you'll work with all them guys but especially Eddie and Steve they're they're one of the um I think the voices of English rugby league aren't they what are they like to work with Oh, absolutely. They're iconic. Um, They're the best. I miss them so much. I'm still in touch with both of them. Um, We did the walk and talk uh, for Mossy Masoi. I did it with Eddie and they're just, they're legends of the game. They're, they're beautiful people. I don't, I think, I think Steve-O misses it. Um, Eddie says he doesn't. I don't know if I believe him, (laughs) but um they're wonderful people and you're right you don't know what you've got until it's gone and I I do remember um when I first got over here and kind of got into social media and 
people were just horrible. People can be horrible on social media. I guess that's a that's another story for another day. But um, now it's funny you see comments and people are wishing that they were back and people miss them. Like they, they're wonderful people. And it's really thanks to Steve-O actually that I got got onto this team. Um, he kind of put me in touch with the right people and I just hounded them and I kept I kept going. The squeaky, the squeak, what's the saying? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. That was me. <laughs> I just just kept knocking on the doors until someone gave me a, a chance. And and you know, I, I wasn't even getting paid. I don't know if you guys probably don't remember, but um my first kind of entry into the the rugby league team was doing this news segment. Um, as part of the build-up on a Thursday night. It was like a three-minute news thing that I'd produce and present from the London studios, and it would go out um, ahead of kickoff on the Thursday night. And that was all thanks to Steve-O, like Steve-O putting me in touch with Neville Smith, who at the time was the big boss of the rugby league team. And um, I still hear from Steve-O, like I, he was at the grand final. I was meant to actually interview them. They've both got a podcast as well, in fact, um, which is it's a good listen. It's a very good listen. Um, but they were up in the hospitality and, and uh, I was going, I was meant to, to interview them both. But because we had the hour and a half build up, we just ran out of time and, and I couldn't get up there. Um, but, yeah, Steve will message me after a game and be like, that was a good interview, but you should have done this. Or, um, you know, you need to be doing, you know, less less talking, Jenna. People don't want to hear from you. People want to hear from the players. Quick questions. Like, he's constantly giving me feedback and I'll be forever grateful for steve and I just adore Eddie. So, yeah, they're, they're two absolute legends of the game. Yeah, great. And, then you know, obviously there's probably people listening to this wondering about how they get into to media and, and especially sports media, which is... I'm guessing such a competitive field and, and no doubt it's probably the second best thing to, to play in the sport, isn't it? Being being in and around it and being in and around the players and, and then the coaches and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we fast forward through to to last season and, and this season and obviously the, the, the effect what COVID had on, on rugby league and the, the effect COVID had on us all as a society, how difficult was it covering the sport and how difficult did it make your job um, you know, not being able to, to get close to the players, not being able to go down to training, be at matches, etc. How difficult was it for you? It was so difficult. And even this season has been probably more difficult. Um, I was looking, I put a post up at the end of last season and we covered something like, oh gosh, what was it? It was something like, 40, 40 odd, 48 games in four months. So we obviously showed pretty much every single game live because it was behind closed doors. So we were, and that was something I don't think a lot of fans understand, but that was something that Sky did. Sky, um, we didn't have to do that, but that was June Fairhurst, who's the boss now at, um, of Rugby League at Sky. That was her decision, and we were all completely on board because had it not been for us showing these games, then fans, it would have been very difficult for, for supporters to kind of see their team in action. So it was it was hard. Like we were doing um, we were doing six games in two days most weeks last year. Um, so it was hugely exhausting, but at the same time, sitting there and not having any supporters in the in the stadiums, it was it was something that I'll never forget. As a fan, like as a passionate rugby league supporter, lover of the game, I'd sit there and these players were just going to war every every week. 
And I was I was one of the very few that were in the stadium actually watching it live. And I just got so much more out of it from a reporter as well. From a reporter's perspective, I was able to hear the chat out on the pitch. I was able to hear what the coaches were saying to like what their messages were. Whereas now it's so, you know, with a crowd, of course, it's so loud. You don't ever get any of that. You could also hear the intensity and the the brutal hits like it was it was just it was something that I may never experience again, but I'll never forget. In terms of the challenges that even like this year, I said this year was more um, complicated, more challenging than last year. At least last year, I could hear uh, there was I had that distance, that two meter distance between myself and the the person I was interviewing. But there was no one no one in the um, stands, so you could kind of hear they could hear me. This year, I'm sure you all remember the the Tony Smith interview the other week. Yeah, it's yeah. horrendous. Yeah, it's, and and people don't understand. Like, there's so many. Again, <coughs> sorry guys, I am recovering from a cold. I don't have COVID. I've been testing every day, <laughs> but I do have a bit of a um a sore throat. So I apologise for coughing. Um, but. Yeah, the the interview with with Tony Smith. I mean, people don't understand that that we're not choosing. We're not choosing to do it this way. This is protocol. This is what we have to do. We can't. I can't be down the tunnel anymore. So in 2019, I was in the tunnel. I was I was with the players. I was going up speaking to players. I was speaking to coaches directly. This year and last year, I'm in the amber zone. So I'm not allowed in the tunnel. I can't, we can't conduct these interviews. Like Tony, I think, suggested, can't we be doing this inside where it's not so noisy? Well, no, we can't. We're not allowed. Protocol, COVID protocol won't won't let us do that. So there's limitations there and just being able to hear each other. It's been such a challenge. And I know at times hugely awkward um, interviews, but we're just doing our best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Tony's just a bit a bit hard of hearing as he gets older, a bit older. I think that's the problem. But obviously, Jenna, we see you on screen and people might think, you know, all, all you do is, is the interviews or all they see you on screen for, for short snippets. But obviously, that's not your just all you do, is it? What what kind of stuff do you do in the build-up to games and what's like a, a typical week for you in the, in the build-up to a game? So a typical week for me, so if the games are, say, Thursday, Friday, so not, not a lot of people know this, but actually I'm based in London. So I used to be um, staff at Sky Sports News, so that was kind of my full-time job, and then I would do bits and pieces for the rugby league um, department. And then two weeks before co- uh, before we went into that first lockdown last year in March, I got I got this job full-time. Um, so that was amazing timing because then a Sky put a freeze on um, promotions and kind of making um, like uh, putting like a freeze on on hiring staff. So I kind of just got this job in the nick of time. Um, but so I don't really know what a normal like pre-COVID what this role would have entailed because I've never done it. But since COVID, like I work from home unless I'm obviously at the game. So Monday. Um, is usually kind of prep day if I'm involved in the Golden Point podcast, which is our Sky Sports Rugby League um, podcast that we do. Um, We usually record that on on either a Monday or a Tuesday. But it's just like through the week, it's pretty much prepping, guys. Like I do do a lot of prep. People don't realise like I try and – and let's be honest, rugby league in this country, there's not a lot of stuff out there like online about players, about teams, about coaches – 
Um, so I just try and read everything I can. I'll always try and speak to the coaches myself, not like not as part of the presser, the weekly presser. I'll try and speak to them um, and just get a different take on um, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And I try and do that the day before the game, just so it's fresh. And then I've got something else to add, not just the typical stuff that's been said at um, the, the weekly presses and what all the press journos have kind of got. So I, I do that. Um, I often write articles, features on players. Um, I used to do like an NRL kind of talking points article as well. So just that kind of stopped mid-year just because things got too hectic with um, with what we were doing this year. Um, I do stuff for Sky Sports News, so preview pieces for them. I'll try and interview the pundits, get their take on what the games are, what the fixtures are, the talking points, who to look out for. Um, so it's a lot of just trying to um, promote the game. And then on a Thursday morning, I'll make my way up north, uh, get to the game. We're usually at the game, try and get there for, say, a th say kickoffs at 7.45. We're on a, usually on air at 7. So I try and get in for, like, say, 3 o'clock. We then have a production meeting. Um, we talk about what we're going to cover, you know, what the, the talking points are for that week. And then it's a lot at the moment, it's a lot of just sitting in your car. Like I do my hair and makeup in the car. It's so glamorous. TV is so glamorous, guys. Um, and then I'll stay up um, on the Thursday night and then travel to wherever the game is on the Friday. And then I usually head back to London Friday after the game. And then Saturday, Sunday are pretty quiet, um, like low-key days. And then you kind of start start all over again. I suppose next year you can get yourself in Craven Street if you've got a bit of time to kill. That seems um, very bad. <laughs> Obviously, all Kingston Rovers on and off the field soon. But two people that deserve a mention, two heroes of rugby league for totally different reasons, is Rob Burrow and Mossy Masoy. Obviously, Mossy's affiliated to ourselves with a podcast being all Kingston Rovers. I was actually commentating on the game when he did his back and we didn't meet myself and the co-commentator at the time. Didn't have a clue. We had to fill 15, 20 minutes. We thought it was your head knock and then still watch it back now. And I remember the moment you realised that it was serious and you can see the likes of Weller Araki, Matt Parcell, looking around, speaking to each other. How have you seen him, Rob Burrow, fighting Emin? We've seen Kev Sinfield do the seven in seven, the marathons, you guys doing the rowing, the walking. Rugby league in the United Kingdom doesn't get enough praise and it's not the biggest sport. We're competing with rugby union, football, cricket, darts and boxing, even sports like that. But the rugby league community, Jenny, you'll see it more than us working with Barry and Terry and Villar for all the commentators. How much has every them two guys inspired you, never mind the nation? And how emotional was it when Mossy walked out at Castleford, Burrow doing that interview with Kevin Aguama, you know, for you? That must have been up there one of the highlights of your career, that Kevin Aguama interview, because we was watching at home and it was emotional watching it, never mind you being the um, the interviewer. Joe, I, I can't... I, it hasn't really even um, registered yet. Like, I have watched it back. And everything like post-match stuff happens so quickly. So it's so, it's all just reactive, isn't it? Like it's, you can't, you've got no idea what's going to happen. So with that interview, what the plan was, was um, whoever was uh, the Harry Sunderland winner would come over. I would do the post-match interview. Then I would introduce uh, Rob, Lindsay and Macy who were presenting the award to player of the match. 
But before that happened, I was meant to have a quick word with Lindsay. Um, and that was the plan. I mean, you've got plans in TV and, and with live TV, you just don't know how it's going to go. And, and as I said, you just have to react. And um, I remember like Kevin came over. So there was all the celebs. So I, I found out with the grand final as well, because it's not done by Sky, it's um, done like outside of Sky. So I only like found out that it was Kevin probably like maybe one minute, two minutes before uh, the game was over. So post-match celebrations happen and, of course, a grand final, emotions are high, you know, there's tears, there's there's um, celebrations. Kevin starts making his way over. He's constantly getting stopped. He then finally gets over and he's in tears at that point. But he's okay. Like, he's not, he's not properly, like, broken down at that point. He then looked over and saw Rob. And this is my view. I could be wrong. Like maybe if you spoke to Kevin Nagama, maybe it wasn't like this. But this is this is from my point of view what I saw. I think he must have forgotten that Rob was presenting Harry, the Harry Sunderland trophy. And I saw him look over at Rob. And that was when he went down to the ground and crouched down in like proper tears. And within a couple of seconds, I hear Brian in my ear throw down to me and I'm like oh this is such a special moment I like I just didn't I don't know I just I just knelt down and we did the interview and then he stood up after the interview and then I went to speak to Lindsay and then Lindsay um, came over and then Kevin went over to Rob and said what he said to Rob which was just absolutely spot on and amazing and um, I'm so glad that we were able to catch that on camera and, and on the mic um, because it was just spot on and again it just goes to show, and I know I'm biased because I work in this sport, I've grown up loving this game, but rugby league is the best sport in the world, hands down, um, and it's just another example, like it's a, it's a family. It's not even a sport. It's a family. We all get behind people in need. We all, you know, are there to support. You mentioned the row for Rob. We've got Burrow 7. We did the walk and talk for Mossy. There's a dinner on October 30th um, for Mossy Masoy, you know, trying to raise as much money as possible because he and his family leave to, to move back to Australia in November. It's just, it's all just amazing the last couple of years since, you know, Rob got diagnosed, since Mossy's horrendous injury we've just seen this incredible side of rugby league that um it's just it's fascinating it's honorable it's it's i'm just so proud to be to be part and, and to work in the game and i'm sure you guys probably feel the same way to be involved as supporters as um amazing podcast hosts covering the game you know it's just <laughs> it's um it's it's just fantastic but they're two absolute warriors of the game, aren't they, Rob and Mossy? Yeah, and you're saying all the right words, Jenna, so, so don't worry about making it continue. But <laughs> but no, I think what, what Rugby League is unique in is that it, it brings together so many people from the players to the media to, to spectators. And, you know, you've seen that, how, how many different clubs uh, have, have raised funds for both Mossy and, and, and Rob. You've seen people in the amateur game doing incredible things. And, and it, I can't think of any other sport where you'd see that unity right. and togetherness. And, and maybe it's unique to this country as well, because I, I, I wonder if you'd see that in the NRL. Obviously, it's a totally different competition oh, almost. But 
Well, to, to be fair, the NRL have got behind Mossy, haven't they? They they did the mm, dedicated the round, yeah. They dedicated the round. They they have raised a lot of money. Uh, yeah, a lot of um, I can't remember the figure. The last time I think it could have been close to two hundred thousand, wow. um, and that's just the NRL. That's not what we've done over here with the Mossy Masoy Foundation. Um, so the NRL also did the tri celebs, didn't they? Which was brilliant. Um, I think that was at ma- their magic weekend. Every yeah. every celebration. Um, oh, what's this? The betting company. Um, I've gone blank. But the the betting one of the betting companies down there donated five hundred dollars to every um, tri celeb for Mossy. And you know, I I don't know. I I think you could probably say that the NRL would do the same. And with Alex McKinnon, I think they did a lot of. There was almost a boycott over changing the insurance policy, and and they won. The players won. Um, but in terms of football over here, like I don't know. I I've never seen it. I've never seen anything like this. So I, I can't answer that question. But. I'm just so proud of the rugby league community on this side of the world and down under as well because they really have gotten behind Mossy and Rob and it's just it's just pride that that I feel to be associated with the game. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and if we move move on to Rovers and Hull Kingston Rovers this season, and obviously it's been our best season since 2008. We've we've got 80 minutes away from Old Trafford, which is incredible. I think me and Joe. First ones to admit at the start of the season, we didn't see this coming whatsoever. Um, and, the, and the boys have really dug deep and put some standout performances. I wonder, with um, you covering a, a number of the games on Sky this season, Jenna, how impressed you have been with Rovers and, and the style of rugby league that they've been playing? Oh, so impressed. We we have absolutely loved covering Hulk KR. I think Brian said this when we were last at, um, at a home game. What as well the club's done off the pitch with Craven Street, uh, it's it's all it's just it's fantastic. The way we saw glimpses of of it last year, didn't we? There, there was obviously no relegation on the line, so they were playing freely, an amazing um, attacking style without risk. But this year, there was just that added confidence and belief, and. They just continue to defy the odds. You guys are, are huge Hull KR supporters and you didn't even think that they'd get to the final four. Um, but the players did. I remember speaking to Corbin Sims at Lee, at that Lee game. Um, it must have been, I don't know when it was now. Everything's kind of blurred into one, yeah. but it was a few months ago. August, Jenna, I think. Yeah, August. And I said to him, like, is there talk of Old Trafford? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going. Like, we 100% know we can go. Like, the, there was just so much belief all season. And every game, people, that they, they went into every game as the underdogs pretty much. And, you know, I mean, that game at Warrington to make it to the semifinals, like, that was incredible. The, 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 the Tony Smith is I think he's un, he's so unlucky not to have won Coach of the Year. They went from wooden spooners last year to the final four this year. And the injuries, the players that you're missing, I mean, it's incredible what they achieved. And the future looks so bright as well. Um, you've got your young, like Mikey Lewis. How good was Mikey Lewis? That yeah. try he scored against Warrington, one of the best tries this year. Um. Rowan Mill, like all of the, like Will Dagger, all the young players stood up and then Sean Kenny Dow, 
I mean, he, I think I read before the semi-final, I think he, I think the semi-final was his 42nd straight game. He yeah, hasn't like what a leader. And then he, when he injured his foot, he played on and he played well. Like he's he's a star. I mean, Ryan Hall, awesome signing. Um, how many tries did he end up getting? 15 or something? Yeah. 15 tries. Um, it's I just think 2022 looks great. Lachlan Coote coming in. He doesn't know what it feels like to lose a, a Super League grand final. Um, he's going to add more experience, more confidence. And, you know, I spoke to a lot of the players throughout the year, usually about Tony Smith, and a lot of them described him not as a coach but as a mate, as a friend. And I think that's important to have um, because it's just so clear that that he trusts his players and he, he tells them to to play what they see and that's exactly what they do. And And... 99% of the time, it, it comes off. Like, I haven't even mentioned Jordan Abdul yet. How have I not mentioned Jordan <laughs> Abdul? Um, just incredible. Like, as as fans, what what do you guys think they're going to do next year? Oh, it's it's tough, Chris, isn't it? You know, good question. I, I think the problem is you can have second season syndrome, can't you? Look at Salford when they got to the grand final and then there was in the bottom four again the year after. I think what we want, Chris, is really just to kick on and we've, we have um, when we film all our podcasts, we try and be as positive as we can. Obviously, it's helps that we've been really good this year. But I think what I want, I don't know about you, Chris, is we don't expect to be this top two team. We just, we need to get away from being dragged into that relegation battle. We saw that this year. We saw what enter the entertainers we got called. We saw what we can do. But if Rovers can keep beating the teams around them, and we did the double over weekend, we beat Leeds comfortably at home. But then you look at the games that we've lost and we've gone to Wakefield and got hammered, gone to Woodersfield and lost. And no disrespect to them teams, at the time when we played them, we had everything to play for and they had nothing to lose. And sometimes you can, you know, get defeated against them teams, Chris. I don't know about you, but for me, it's just kicking on. We need to keep injury free of that typical cliche. But Rovers have definitely got a great chance to be in the playoffs again next year, mate. I think Lachlan Coote's an astute signing. I think if he can work with Mikey, Jordan Abdul, Jeslett and Matt Parcell, Elliot Minchella coming back at 13 with Dean Hadley, who both suffered season-long injuries. The, the future looks bright, Chris, doesn't it? Especially with that span that we're assembling. Yeah, it's, you know, the, it can't be anything but positive. You know, I think, it, I do think it'll be probably one of the most competitive Super League seasons next season. I think there's a number of clubs who have, who have not performed how they would like to have done this season. And, and you look at some of the recruitment that's been done, particularly by such as Leeds, Castleford, you know, it's going to be a really, really tough league next year. But I think Rovers uh, don't have any fear. And, and you know, we, we've got talent in abundance. And, and some of the players who have not performed too well are, are, are you know, Brad Sakurangi, Corbin Sims, uh, Albert Vette. They, they, I think they're going to hit the ground running next season. I really yeah. think they're going to hit the ground running. I thought Brad Takarangi had a great season. Um, I remember Tony Smith saying in one of the post-match interviews that we've not even seen like half of what he's capable of. So that's exciting. That's a good shout, Chris. I yeah, and I think that's. I think that's. I think you've just hit the nail on. The and Tony Smith said, didn't he, that we've not even seen half of him yet. So, so I think 
because Andy's also played a number of positions for us this season, which I think he needs a good run at centre, which is his, his probably his favourite position. But there's so much more to come from these boys, and I think that's what really excites us going forward into into next season. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited for Hull KR. I um I saw some of the betting odds for next season today. I think St Helens are <laughs> the overwhelming favourites, which isn't a surprise. But I think Hull KR were kind of middle. Um, but I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they again made at least the top four. I know you mentioned Salford, but Salford made the Super League Grand Final, and then they did back up in the sense of Wembley, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I, I really think Tony Smith knows what it takes to to win big games, and he's bringing that to Hull KR. I re- we hope so, don't we? And obviously it was announced, Jenna, a few days ago that the assistants, obviously David Hodgson, record try, one of the record try scorers in Super League, Stanley Jean, or a Hull KR legend, and Danny Maguire, probably the greatest Super League player of all time. You know, we saw him at the back end of his career, but him, Burrow, Sinfield, Peacock, everyone at Leeds just idolises Danny Maguire and I think he's come to Wilkingston Rovers he gives us a bit of vision on the field we obviously didn't see the best of him he was 35 and 36 in the two seasons he was wearing the red and white but as a coach them three I think as their assistants are vital and hopefully we can see and I think what you'll notice as well Tony Smith seems to have got his spark back he spent plenty of years out of the game Obviously, Matt Coach, Great Britain, England, won stuff with Warrington and Leeds. And I feel like he's developing this club now to maybe head towards the heights of Old Trafford and Wembley. And I think he's really bought into Wilkingston Rovers. And I know us as fans and us listeners and the rest of the um, East Old Faithful have definitely bought in to what Tony Smith has brought. And I think Danny Maguire, Stanley Jean and Dave Hodgson has as well. What's your opinion on the man, Tony? Obviously, he does his interviews. We could be LFC 16 and early go. Yeah, but it could have been 66. We need to work on things. I think that's the sign of a great coach. He doesn't settle for second best. He wants us to be better every week. I remember when we beat Wigan, you did the interview with him. His first thing was, yeah, we was flat in the second half. We got lucky. Not the fact we've just beat Wigan and we were sitting fifth in the table at the time. He seems a really good bloke, Jenna. Oh, he's, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Hull KR kind of fan podcast but he's one of my favorite coaches to interview you're right whatever kind of question I give him he kind of always not argues with me but always kind of um he he never agrees with me put it that way and I could say I could say um you know they underperformed today he'll be like no no I thought they had a great game or that it was a great game from the boys they didn't get the win he'll be like no I wasn't happy with it we were flat like he will always disagree with what I have to say but I like that he's um I yeah, he's one of my favourite coaches to interview because I never know what I'm going to get. Um, but I, I do like him. I like him as a person. I like him as a coach. I think um, with him, you know, guiding that team, I think that it's only going to to be positive and it's only going to grow from from where they are at the moment. Yeah, let's hope so. We've got a few more questions, Jenna. Chris has got some as well. But I just want to ask you about the French connection, as we'll call it. Obviously, when we asked you to come on the podcast, we didn't know who was going to be joining the likes of Hulk KR, Wigan, Saints in Super League. It was either Toulouse or Featherstone. We know it is the team from the south of France. You was at Perpignan for that semi-final. So was I. I was lucky enough to get over to the south of France. There was only about 50 of us. That atmosphere, are we... Um, 
I did a, did an interview for the local radio and mentioned how it was a bit like Rocky when he goes to fight Avrago in Russia. That atmosphere, I felt very outnumbered, but in a good way. I think that's what we need. And people go on about expansion with Toulouse. It's another expansion club. It's not going to work. It's not at all. Toulouse have been going since the 1930s, I believe. They're a passionate crowd. There was 9,000 people there. That's nearly 8,000 more than the likes of Cass and Wakey in Huddersfield. In my opinion, and for yours yourself, you'll get a few more trips to the south of France. It's lovely down there. When we was in the championship, I went to Toulouse. And I do, from a fan's perspective, I think I prefer Toulouse to Perpignan. Obviously, people have different opinions. But yeah, there's two French teams now. How good is it for the game? How good is it for that French derby? And it'll probably make Magic Weekend a lot more interesting. I'd like to see the derbies come back. I don't know about you. Oh, I would absolutely love it. And I do hope that we get to go. Um, you mentioned Perpignan. That was the first time I'd ever been, like full stop, to cover a game or even just to visit. It was manic, wasn't it? It was mad. It was. It was. I don't even know how to describe it because it was like I've been to some big games in my lifetime, in particularly in the NRL, and nothing Nothing compares. And even James Maloney, Sam Tompkins, these guys have played in, in huge games. They were blown away. They're, like you couldn't see an arm length in front of you. There was red smoke, yellow smoke, the noise. It was all, it was it was just what rugby leagues, what, what every game of, of rugby league should be. Yeah. And I think it's so exciting that Toulouse are up. I am glad, like obviously I feel bad for Featherstone, but I think it's, you know, the best team came up. They're ready to compete now. I know that they'll be doing some recruiting. I don't know how many players they need to recruit. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're a team that can, can like could now compete in Super League. Um, the derbies between those two teams, I mean, the media, the French media got on the back of Catalan's success this year. When I was there, um, they were on the front page of the local newspaper. They did have like a five-page spread in another newspaper. And then for the grand final, so like there were so many French journos that were at the presser. Um, they followed them around. Like it's, it's you're right, that this game, there's people who really love rugby league want to see this game expand. Toronto, what happened with Toronto was a huge shame. It was, it was. I, I personally thought it was um, terrible for, for rugby league as a whole. Having Toulouse and having Catalan up competing, I think, I think it's only only good for the game. And I notice um, in Australia, like I, I speak to a lot of, um, obviously having worked in, in the media down there, I still keep in contact with a lot of reporters and, and um, people that work in the NRL, and they still refer to the Super League over here as the English Super League. I'm like, it's the European Super League, and it's even more so now because we've got two French sides in, and it's I think it's only going to be a huge positive for the game. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it is really exciting. And one of my managers, Bill Bears, is that we spend so much time as supporters talking about the governance and the structure of rugby league, etc. And I think sometimes we forget about the actual products, what happens out on the pitch and how entertaining rugby league is and what a spectacle it is. And I think that's what we need to focus more on and, and, and less about, you know, whether expansion's a good thing and who's playing where and all that kind of stuff. Let's just focus on what's on the pitch because that's what gets bums on the seats. That's what gets people interested in the game, not not where you've got a team or, or who's playing who, where or anything like that. So... One, one thing I just did want to uh, finish with him before we wrap up, Jenna, is um, your experience of the whole derby and, and um, how many, is it just one game that you'll have been to with, with spectators there? 
Uh, of a whole derby? No, I would have gone to. Um, well, you'll be doing Saints Wigan. Yeah, no. So, oh, sorry. In terms of derbies as a whole, or a whole derby. The whole derby, yeah. Yeah. So I obviously did the ones um, behind closed doors, but the one at the KCOM or the MKM. I always forget what it's called now. The MKM. Um, that was yeah with fans, and it was it was great. It was fantastic. Um, I stupidly wasn't really thinking the wardrobe situation right i turn up with i've got a red sweater on and black pants and i was getting absolutely crucified i did have white shoes on so i made sure i was getting horrible comments not horrible but you know um questionable comments on on social media when i did my cross and all they could see was like waist up and so I had to put a full length uh, picture of my shoes. I'm like, well, hang on a second. I've got a red top. I've got black pants and white shoes. So I'm kind of covered. But um, no. I don't see what the problem is, you, Joe. I don't <laughs> think that's per perfect. I think I think if it was FC fans giving you stick, it's probably because you had two shoes on, Jenna, and not many of them have ever experienced. <laughs> yeah, we used that. So. Sorry, you go, Jenna. Sorry, that was us being very petty. <laughs> well, I um, I was, I certainly learnt my lesson. But like, red is my favourite colour. I love red, so um, I need to to put more thought into my wardrobe choices when I'm <laughs> attending certain derbies. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. But Jenna, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you for giving up your time. We really appreciate it, don't we, Chris? And it's been great to speak to you. Hopefully next year we might be able to get you on again. Rovers in a grand final and St George in a final as well. Obviously, we know that's your NRL team. What's your hopes for the AM, the LORA next year? Uh, they're not optimistic. Has George Bear just gone back? Yeah. I mean, George Bear just was great in his head, but he hasn't played in for two years, is it now? I mean... He, he's had like a hip surgery. Yeah. He, he was meant to be retired from the game. Yeah. I'm I'm so confused. I've got no idea. I think we just signed Aaron Woods as well. All right, um, yeah. Very um, yeah. I'm not I'm not optimistic at all. If I'm going to put it bluntly, I wasn't this year, and I'm probably even less optimistic for 2022 for the Dragons. So, um, I think it's fair to say Hulk KR will probably be in a grand final before my Dragons. Well, you said your favourite colour's red, so you can support Rovers if we ever get <laughs> and I'll make decent George in there one day as well. But Jenna, it's been so good to speak to you. Thank you for giving us your time. And we really appreciate that you've been listening to the podcast before and all your support. Oh, Joe, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will come on anytime you like. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Jenna. Chris, it's been really good, and a really good experience. Yeah, as and, and like you say, we just wish you all the best for next season, Jenna. And and keep going and hopefully you don't get any uh, too many tricky customers and, and everyone's more like uh, Tony Smith. <laughs> Thanks, fingers crossed. Yeah, thank you guys. So that was the first part of the 2021 Red Robin podcast season review. Me and Chris will be back in a minute to go for all our awards and speak about the season as a whole. But thank you to Sky Sports' Jenna Brooks. Speak soon, Jenna. Bye. Welcome back to the second part of the 2021 Red Robin podcast. Thanks to Jenna Brooks from Sky Sports for that interview in the first part. We really appreciate her coming on and donating a time to the podcast. Chris, it's me and you, the originals again, mate. The season's over. Obviously, the last time we spoke, it was a few days before the semi-final. We're not going to dwell on that game too much. We're going to do a bit of an overall picture. 
I've got loads to discuss, loads of topics. But in a way, even though the season's finished and the grand final, we'll speak about that as well. It's just nice for me and you without that pressure. We're both busy at work. We've loved doing that podcast. But now it's the end of the season. It's been a great year. It's been hectic, hasn't it, mate? How have you found it all? Yeah, it's been supersonic, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's yeah. been unbelievable. And, and you know, I'm, in a way, um, well, not, you know, I'm, I'm missing Rovers, <laughs> not having the game to look forward to. And, you know, watching the grand final, seeing the climax of the NRL season, you know, it, it's sort of whetted the, whetted the appetite already for next year, hasn't it? And, and what we're going to do there. And it's a shame, obviously, there's no Rugby League World Cup this season. Uh, obviously, that's been been moved to, to next year. So we've got a bit of a void to fill, haven't we? But it's been a it's been a fantastic year in terms of Rovers, what they've done on and off the pitch. The podcast has been really good. The feedback's been excellent. The numbers have, have really stacked up. So so yeah, I suppose now, mate, we're we're gonna reflect on the on the season out. We look forward to, to next season and and take stock of where we are as a podcast and as a club. Yeah, and I think when we started, obviously, we go back when we announced that we were doing the podcast in January. Was kind of, it was dark times, wasn't it? COVID was still at an all-time high. The vaccine programme hadn't been started. It was kind of like, what's happening? And we're going to have another year in lockdown behind closed doors. How was it going to react? We didn't know what Rovers was going to turn up. And when we started, we'll, we'll admit, even if you we probably look at our changing tone over the months because at the beginning we didn't know what was going on both on and off the field we didn't know what was going to happen with Neil Ludgill at the time Paul Lakin had come in we didn't know if it was going to be the same and that friendly against Castleford then you look back at the first three games 29-28 against Catalan Dragons we then go, we've got a home match against St Helens that we played in St Helens and got beat 25-0. And then the week after, we lost in the Challenge Cup after giving up a healthy lead. And we kind of, I remember saying on the podcast, this is going to be the same always. Again, it doesn't matter who we sign, it doesn't matter who we bring in. We come, we run teams close, we just can't hold a lead. And we've got the facilities, we've got the team. We just couldn't click. And then first three games, we'll admit, it was two defeats in the league. It was out the Challenge Cup at the first attempt. I was, I wouldn't say worried for relegation at that point, but I didn't think we'd ever get to a semi-final. What was your thoughts on the opening few games, mate? Because... I thought we'd got a bit better. Our combinations weren't really working. If we could keep all the Ryan Hall, we didn't know what Tacker was going to do. Corbin Sims, Vete, we hadn't seen the best. We did see Takarangi because he picked up an injury in the friendly against Castleford. The first month was tough, wasn't it, mate? Especially for us doing the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's been an incredible year, hasn't it? Both on the pitch in terms of rugby league and off it in, in life, hasn't it? We've gone through the lockdowns, you know, not being able to go watch games. But that's how obviously we start the season and you know, to everyone who's listened to the podcast throughout the season, you know, there's been a remarkable change in, in our tone and our our outlook on the on the team and the club because them early few games in the season, you know, we always had Phil Barrett coming on, didn't we, telling us not to panic. Uh, I think he was good for keeping us a bit grounded, a bit level-headed because if we're honest, there was, there was you know, we was panicking a little bit, weren't we? There was a few questions around Tony Smith, around team selection, obviously starting uh, some of the big name signings um, I think it was all frustrated because we weren't able to go to the games um, and, and there was no doubt that that the players didn't enjoy playing um, you know, in empty stadiums I think it was hard for them to really generate an atmosphere within the team um, and obviously we saw how the fans responded and how the team responded once fans were allowed back in the stadium but you know sometimes you've got to roll with it and I think that's that's what what we did as a team is is we weathered that early storm. The, the results weren't great, and and 
you know, that Catalan game, that last minute, uh, last uh, golden point defeat, obviously then going to St. Helens, that was a bit of a wake-up call, wasn't it? Because I think when we saw that performance, we were starting to wonder, are we going to be in a relegation battle here? And then we obviously, we lost to Castleford in a Challenge Cup by one point again. Uh, and then we followed that up with it with the Huddersfield game, which was obviously live on Sky. And it was another one point um, one point swing, but it was in our favour. And then them early few games, mate, it was difficult because we couldn't we couldn't shake off the shackles of the previous season, could we? We were still looking back rather than looking forward. Um, yeah. and, and we we were we were probably a bit worried. We weren't that confident about the season ahead. No, we won, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It was, you know, dwelling on that past few seasons, one and that one-point victory against Huddersfield, a few dubious calls, the famous Lee Gaskell dive, the try that wasn't a try from Chris McQueen, the eight-second try from Ben Crooks. That well, was it even lower? That's in the Guinness World Book of Records now. And then the week after, again at home on the hour league app, we put 26 points against the Leeds Rhinos, pick up back-to-back wins. We go to Warrington Wolves, Greg Inglis's first game. 50 points to 26, we got beat, but there were still signs there. Rovers were the better team up until that last 20 minutes. Rovers dominated Warrington. Oh, mate, them, them first, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games, we'd scored uh, 28 points. We'd scored, obviously, none against Saints. We'd scored um, 32 points against Cass. We'd scored 25 points against Uddersfield. We scored 26 points against Leeds. We scored 26 points against Warrington. We then went and scored 26 points against Cass. You know, so we was worried, weren't we, that we was going to be an entertaining team, but we weren't able to back it up in defence and we weren't able to get it get over the line on enough occasions. Monday the 17th of May, mate, you've just mentioned that final game against Castleford Tigers. The first game that fans were back after a year and a half. People will know myself and you, we was lucky enough, there was about 50 of us who managed to get tickets, didn't we, in that away end at Castleford. That night will always stay in my memory because it was great just to be back watching the Robins. It was great to be back watching live sport. It was an emotional occasion. Obviously, it would have been better if it was at Craven Park, but I think for us guys who actually got there, that Jordan Abdel handoff, show and go at the end and conversion. Rovers beat Castleford at Wealdon Road, 26-22. That is when we go into the awards at the end of when we've done our review. That's not my game of the season for performance-wise, but I'd say that's my game of the season for how it felt for us guys who hadn't been there for a year and a half because myself and you would travel home and away. Rovers is a massive part of our lives. That Monday the 17th of May, mate, kind of, hit the nail on the head for me when I was like, do you know what? Life's getting quite back to normal now when I can head in the right direction and Rovers topped it off with a win, mate. That day, brilliant. Yeah, and I think the it was, it was emotional, wasn't it? It was a really emotional occasion to be back watching live sport. There was obviously a rush to try and get tickets. People were, Rovers fans didn't think you could get them and, and we managed to get some and there was a few others who managed to do it and the, it was still... You know, we didn't know whether they'd let us in. Um, you know, right up until kickoff, people were a bit worried, weren't they? Whether they was going to get in. You had all the noise around that. So, to then back it up with not only a, a great performance uh, but a victory, it was a it was a really special occasion. And and you know, it really showed to me what that Rovers team was capable of. And you saw the bond between the supporters and the fat and the and the players really starting to grow. You saw how much it meant to the players to have fans back in the ground, but to have to have a, a victory in front of the in, in front of the travelling Rovers fans. You just saw how much it meant. You saw Corbin Sims at the end of the game, you know, 
laying on. He got a, he got a sim bin, didn't he? He saw Sean Kenny Dow leading the boys over to to the away terrace. It was a really special occasion. But there, but this is all Kings and Rovers, isn't it? And then we went and backed that up with uh, another away game at Wakefield Trinity, and uh, it's probably one of the most disappointing performances of the season. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say that's for momentum and the way that we let Wakefield, who was um, they hadn't won a game yet, they were still on zero points, weren't the same as Lee Centurion. Incredible, absolutely incredible, wasn't it? Incredible. Yeah, how we just swinged. I mean, it was on Monday the seventeenth, and then six days later on the twenty-third, we was there, and it was just kind of like wow. We thought we was getting somewhere and then you get dragged back down. You start going to these places and getting beat and losing by a, a big score like 28-12. But the f- next three weeks probably defined Hulkingston Rovers' season before the fast when we had about five, six weeks off. We look at Hulkingston Rovers beating Lee Centurions 40 points to 16. The first game back with fans at Craven Park. There was 4,000 of us there. Brilliant. It was a sunny day. It was a, a gorgeous day. I mean, it, there was no beers, there was no drinks, there was no food on sale, which was annoying. But just to be back at Craven Park. Then we beat Salford 40 points to four on the Sky cameras. Me and you were sat together, weren't we, for that game of Masterclass, Matt Parcell, Kane Lynette, these names that we're going to mention later. And then the week later, Friday the 18th of June, it was the same day England played Scotland in the Euros. That was the biggest game of the week and that finished 0-0. But I'll tell you what didn't finish 0-0. Hulkingston Rovers beating Wigan at the DW, mate. In the three weeks, we beat Lee, Salford and Wigan with a rack-up score of 98 points. And that was probably the moment where people thought, do you know what, if these can beat, the teams around them, this team, the entertainers, that was when the tag started getting it. But we was back at Craven Park, we was playing entertaining rugby and that victory of Wigan at the end of them three weeks really topped off what this whole Kingston Rovers team were about. What a fantastic three for performances, mate, to build on the rest of the season. Yeah, and there was a lot of nervousness going into that league game. You know, people people were worried that it might not be, uh, you know, after the back of the on the back of the Wakefield defeat that the the game against Lee, if we didn't win that, we was going to be right in the mire because Lee would have been potentially, you know, uh, right back in it. But to to come out and respond, I think the players really responded to fans being back at the ground and and credit to the club as well for the way they accommodated supporters, building that extra south stand. Um, so, so as many supporters could get into the to game as possible. And again, we talked about the Castleford game, but I think for me that Lee one was a really special one because it was it was that first time being back at home, playing playing at Craven Park, um, and, and then from to put on such a, an entertaining performance um, was really special. But not only that, to then back up against the Salford Red Devils, obviously we started to see glimpses of Brad Takarangi, didn't we, and, and the magic that he can can um, bring to the team. He got awarded the, the try of the season, didn't he, by the club uh, after he scored that that fantastic kick through. Um, although I've got my own opinions on what, what the try of the season actually was. Um, but, you know, he started to show he was a bit of a rock and roll star, didn't he, when he was, he was playing in that game. But then to go to Wigan and, and, and come away with a victory there, that's when I think as supporters we thought we've turned the corner here. You know, if we can get our act together, we've got three, three victories on the trot, some of the players were really putting in some standout performances. And, and, and I think that's when we really started to believe that this Rovers team could do something special if we if we continue to score points, but just tighten up in defence. 
That was on the 18th of June. The next time Hulkingston Rovers would play him, it was Saturday the 24th of July. That's five or six weeks. And that was due to Hulkingston Rovers ultimately getting COVID straight after the Wigan game. So for two weeks, Rovers were had to isolate. We was out of bounds. The next four weeks was pivotal in Super League. Our Super League in my opinion the, the Covid rules about the self-isolating in professional sport made a mockery and it saw the derby being postponed twice Salford St Helens who played in a Challenge Cup final ended up being on an open top bus all hugging each other pissed as farts and then the next day said that um, they've all got Covid so they can't come and play Rovers how frustrating was you and realistically before we move on to the remaining part of the season after the five week layoff I was worried this season wasn't going to be finished. We just beat Wigan. I think we were sitting in fifth at the time, weren't we? Because we played less games. People were complaining about that. But two weeks, Rovers were out of bounds, mate. But then final, them four weeks are really unforgivable, the way the RFL conducted themselves and the teams conducted themselves. It was just waiting. I remember James O'Brien, he was getting a lot of stick and he was going, I'm devastated to say, but Salford have said they need to do these more tests. And at the moment... We didn't know what was going on. We didn't think the Super League season was going to be finished. It was typical. We were starting to bomb. We were starting to gel on the field, people back off the field. How worried was you, mate, that this season might not have been completed and Rovers wouldn't have hit that magic 18-19 game, whatever it was, that you needed to get into the playoffs? Because I was. Yeah, it was farcical, wasn't it? Because I remember, you know, I was thinking when there was advertising tickets for the away games, I was thinking, what's the point buying it in advance? You might as well just turn up on the day because you didn't know whether the game was going to be going ahead or not, and each, each week you was, well, you had no confidence that the game was, was going to be uh, be played, and it was a farcial, farcial set of circumstances, and do you know what, I think at the time I was I was, I was was pissed off, one happy, but do you know what, over the course of the season, I, I, I genuinely think that break helped us as a, as a team, I think it allowed us to get players back from injury, it gave players a rest at a, a much needed time, Um and if you look at how we, we finished the season, I don't think we'd have finished it without having that break. And and that's going to be interesting next season to see how we cope with having a, a you know a full normal season because obviously this year has been a bit stop start. It's been played under different conditions. We've had the points per game, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of reasons on top of Rovers being fantastic this season why we've been able to get into the playoffs. So next season's going to be a challenge. But no, that period was was really devastating wasn't it and and as a supporter you want to be seeing your team and we we had the uh our appetite whetted by being able to go to games previously and then to have it taken away from us uh through no fault of rovers uh what they'd done as a club you know to have it taken away from the opportunity as, as fans to be able to watch games was, was devastating at the time but they went into that that game against um catalan didn't they and then by by word, what a, what a performance were put in there? <laughs> Amazingly, do you remember when we nobody could? It wasn't on Sky. There was no reporters there. And we was I think me and you were listening to it on French radio, trying to make out what was happening. People were Google translating the tweets. Just you know, it, it was crazy times. Yeah, it was, mate. We was driving back one from City and Scunthorpe in a pre-season match and the French radio, all you could understand was SA and SA refuse what we see on the video try when we see it when it's in the south of France and the Rovers' Wi-Fi was down, the Twitter wasn't working, so there was no updates, there was no media presence from East Yorkshire. So that was a really crazy time, but it was just good 
to see Rovers were back. And Rovers were 26-8 up at half-time. People forget that. And again, we bombed the lead. We lost 32-30. The week later, Catalans came over to East Hull. 16-23, the away team won again. So that was 3-0 in head-to-heads for 2021. Obviously, the biggest game was yet to come, and we will speak about that. The next segment of games, mate, in August is was massive, was massive in my opinion. We'll go through them. So, obviously, we played Lee away on Sky when we just won 34-28. A really in- ill-disciplined game. I remember Sims, Vette, um, Adam Sidlard, a stormer for Lee. The week later, we probably have our, the best atmosphere I've had in a long, long time at Craven Park um, was the 26-14 victory against Wigan. Rovers did the double over Wigan and went in favourites to the week after, which was the derby. Really disappointing performance against the Black and Whites, Chris. We only lost by a point, and I think that's what's seen the levels between the two clubs, that they played their hearts out and they played probably the best they've played all year in a very poor season for them. And Rovers were really poor. Rovers didn't turn up in that derby, and we only got beat by a point. We still tried to stay positive, and then the next two games after that, mate, was away at home to Wakefield, away to Huddersfield, Rovers got hammered, not in the scoreline because it was 18-25 and 40-28, but I thought physically and mentally after the Derby defeat, the Wakefield defeat and then the Huddersfield hammering away at the John Smiths, I'll be honest, I thought that might be us. We might just finish eighth or seventh. We might just miss out of the top six. That month, mate, was so ups and downs. You beat Lee, you beat Wigan, fantastic. How disappointed was them three weeks? Yeah, we had a few injuries. Yeah, our combinations wasn't working. But ultimately, them three games, they didn't in the end, but they could have costed Hulkingston Rovers that season. Them three weeks were squeaky bum time about the playoffs, weren't it? Yeah, I mean, that, that Wigan game was a standout standout game of the, the month, wasn't it? Because we saw fans at Craven Park, you know, the atmosphere was absolutely buzzing. And, and I think we put out on social media saying, look, if you if you want Rovers to achieve something this season, you know, we can't just rely on the players as supporters. We've got to back them. We've got to get behind them. We've got to make the noise. And, and I think everybody responded. You know, the players definitely did. So it was a fantastic occasion. But it was just frustrating, wasn't it? We started to get injuries piled up. Uh, you know, like you said about the... The whole FC game, uh, probably their best performance of the season. Definitely not one of one of our best. And and look how close it was in the end. I think for me the really disappointing one again was the Wakefield Wakefield performance. I thought the atmosphere was absolutely. You could strange. hear a pin drop, mate. Oh, it was, mate. You know, it was. Um, you know, some might say it's probably the worst worst uh, atmosphere we experienced at Craven Park that season, which is crazy, really, when you consider what was in front of us as a team and and what was potentially achievable it's just crazy but it was a Thursday night wasn't it um and I think that never never helps but um we, we sort of tried to brush that aside and we thought you know going to Huddersfield we've obviously been very indifferent this season um you know I, I won't lie mate after that after that I thought we was pretty much done um I thought we'd be relying on other teams etc if we was um but Two really bad performances at Wakefield and Huddersfield game. And, and it shows for me next season about there's still a lot of work to do with this team. Um, you know, you can look at injuries and, and stuff like that. and But you've got to look at points scored and, and you've got to look at our our ability to concede points easily at times in a game. So there's still a lot of work to do. And if I'm honest, at that point, I wasn't too confident about us finishing the playoffs at all. 
No, totally agree. And I think moving forward, before we speak about the final month, if Brothers can just tidy up and you, you look at the two games against Wakefield, you probably should have won. The teams below us, so Hull, you should have beat them. You could have beat, um, who else was it? It was Huddersfield, won it away. And then games, if you just tidy up and you can grind results out there, Rovers would have ended up probably fourth or third. And that's how close Super League is now. If Rovers was beating all the good teams, would beat Leeds, would beat Castleford twice eventually done the double over Wigan Rovers just need to tidy up beat the teams below and beat the teams around them and you'll be sounding Super League you'll always get that playoff chance and the playoffs was a massive talking point moving into September we had three regular games left you knew you probably had to win two of them the first one came at Magic Weekend, mate, um, a 44-6, um, thrashing over the Lee Centurions. The first half was very poor, a really poor performance, and it was like, here we go again, something's going to happen here, this team could be done. Second half, Rovers turning to the Ireland Globetrotters, a cameo for Joe Keyes, great sportsmanship by Ben Crooks. I thought Ryan Hall was brilliant that day, Matt Parcell and Jez. But the main two, the main game that was needed, obviously, with Castleford and Leeds around us, and there was our next two opponents. We knew if we could beat Castleford at Craven Park then the week after we'd only need a Warrington win to get at um, the Mendehose Jungle to guarantee a playoff spot that 26-19 game mate that'll always again if you look back at 2021 and people talk about it because it's better than anything we did with Clint Newton's team with um, Bengalia's team Justin Morgan Dobbo this team has gone one step further getting to 80 minutes away from Old Trafford if you remember correctly, when we got the closest before, it was 160 minutes away. I know the playoffs were different and there was more teams in it in 2009 and 2010. But even still, Rovers got to a semi-final this year. So this team should always be remembered for that. That game, mate, the likes of Kane, Lynette, the Aussies, um, Ryan Hall went off with a season injury. We saw, we said goodbye to the likes of Quinlan, George Aller. It was an emotional time, emotional day at Craven Park. Moss's final walkout. Rovers just had to win. And Rovers certainly did win, mate. What an atmosphere in that East stand. It was ricocheting. It was like a grand final, that game. That, for me, is up there with, obviously, the Warrington game, which we'll discuss, the Wigan victory. How impressed was you on that performance? Rovers needed to turn up, and they did. Yeah, and I think I think you probably underestimate how important it was to get them as many points as we did against Lee at St James Park, because I think that gave that team... Uh, a lot of confidence going into the Castleford game. I think if if Leader runners a lot closer than what they did, and the scoreline would have been a lot closer, and and, and I think there'd have been a, a lot of nervousness. But what Tony Smith's been really good this season is is he's almost isolating games, hasn't he? And he's been he's been able to focus on each game. Um, and and we went into that game with Castleford uh, probably a little bit nervous as supporters, but um, you know it, it seemed like the pressure was all on on Caster, didn't it? Um, and I think that showed in the way Rovers played, and and for me they were worthy winners. And but there was there was backed by a, 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 a fantastic support from the East Stand, the North Stand. You know, everyone really got behind the boys that night. And and I think there was what six and a half thousand there, but it, it sounded and felt like a lot louder. And, and when that East Stand was bouncing, you really felt something special was going to happen. And and it's amazing that you know we we talked about where we've been during the seasons, there's some been real lows in terms of performances, results, but there's been some real highs as well. And and that was a real standout performance for me this season against Castleford because because they showed that when we needed to win, they could do it. Yeah. They definitely stepped up, didn't they, mate? And obviously the final regular game of the season was against Leeds Rhinos, but both Leeds and Hulkingston Rovers knew with Warrington 
could spoil the party at Daryl Powell's goodbye at the jungle, then both teams would be in the playoffs and whoever won would be fighting to either play Wigan or Warrington. Warrington were absolutely smashed Cass in the first half. A bit of a comeback, but Warrington held on, meaning that Ulkingston Rovers was in the playoffs for the first time since 2013. And we travelled to Headingley, mate. It was a bit of a pointless game. Whoever won would have gone to Wigan. Whoever lost would travel to Warrington. Matt Parcell picked up a season-ending injury. At the time, we thought Ryan Hall was done for. We've obviously been missing the likes of Ethan Ryan, Elliot Minchella with his ACL. Rovers were down to the bare bones. We had two backs on the bench, including Will Tate. When Rovers got hammered 36-12, mate, it was kind of like, wow. Right, OK, this is great. We're going to be in the playoffs. We're in the playoffs. That's ace. We've made a step further. But being realistic, when we did the podcast, I'm in the same place now at work when I was doing it with picking up the Warrington game. That Friday, the 24th of September, did you realistically think Rovers would go in the quarterfinal, beat Warrington away from home, not just beat them, absolutely dominate them, 19-0? That game, for me, is one of the best games in Hulkingston Rovers' Super League history, but definitely since I've been 20 or 23, 24 years. I don't know about you, mate, but that night at the Halliwell-Jones, very, very special. And again, it's what this team is all about, working hard for each other, backs against the wall. Jimmy Carnos playing on the wing, then going on to prop. Will Tate coming to do a stint when Takarangi went off. Mikey Lewis with that chip and chase. Jez playing 80 minutes. Um, it was just summed up that this team will net, will die for each other. That game, mate, against Warrington, we proved the doubt was wrong. Tony Smith, he proved everybody wrong. Nobody gave that club a chance to get to a semi-final. That will always live in my memory. Yeah, and it was... Um... It'll go down in, in Rover Super League history as, as one of the best performances, won't it? And, it? and it has to because it was just there was just so much adversity uh, out there. Those players playing back to the you know real back to the wall. You had Albert Vette who, who was on who could hardly run. You know, yet he was still putting a shift in, like you said, Jimmy Carnos. But it it wasn't just grit and determination. There was a sprinkling of magic in there, wasn't there? And we saw that with Michael Lucy's try. You know, some of our our play was still adventurous, so it was it was a fantastic, fantastic game, fantastic result. And and prior to it, you know, when we're travelling over to Warrington and you see what the team lineup is and you see who's on the bench, you're probably fearing the worst, aren't you? Because that was Warrington's strongest team, barring Mike Cooper. Uh, that was the strongest team they put out, and you could see that by who they left out of uh, Charnley, Blake Austin. You know, couldn't get a game, couldn't get into that team. Yet here's Rovers with a patched up team. Players playing out of position, players playing with injuries. I mean, Louis Johnson suffered a broken hand at, at Magic Weekend, played the, the end of the season with a broken hand. He got eight stitches during the game, but he told the physio he wants to carry on, the bandage do open. And that performance from him typified the performance from the team. And, and it shows you over a season what this Rovers team had, had been working towards and, and the team spirit that Tony Smith had created. Not only Tony Smith, though, the, the assistants he's got around him, Danny Maguire, Stanley Jean, Dave Hodgson, but also how important SKD has been and how he's been able to foster that team spirit and, and, and help the players along because, you know, that that, that performance hasn't been there for from Rovers for a number of years, as it probably since the... The Challenge Cup semi-final, which ironically, you know, was against Warrington. We hadn't seen a performance like that from from the boys for for a long time, and and it was just a real togetherness between the club, the players, uh, the supporters. We just all felt united on that night, didn't we? And and you probably can't put into words 
you know how emotional people was at, at the uh, at the end of it. And there's no doubt like you'll have woke up with a bit of morning glory the next day, won't they? Because you'll be absolutely delighted, Joe. I don't think I woke up until the afternoon, mate. I didn't yeah. get in until about one o'clock with them. Um, thing is, never mind a morning glory. It was more um, an afternoon nap for me. But yeah, unbelievable, mate. And like I said, we've done the podcast on that. We went into detail. We spoke about what it meant for me and you. And ultimately, it meant that Hull Kingston Rovers were 80 minutes away from Old Trafford. We knew we had to travel to the south of France. We had to play Catalans for the fourth time. And let's speak about that, mate, because we haven't. Before we move on and we do all our awards and we speak about the others, let's wrap this season up. From my perspective, going, going to the game, thank you for everyone who tuned into all me, Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter. We've got loads of views, loads of followers from it, loads of content, ended up doing stuff on ITV, BBC Radio, Humberside. So, again, it was just spreading the word for me and Chris, guys, and we really appreciate everything you've done for us this year, all the retweets, the shares. It really means a lot. But for me, what I thought of the day, mate, I think it was one game too far. I believe George and Corbin Sims, if they'd have put on a share, it could have been a little bit different. Rovers were just a bit flat, mate, and I think we went over there. They said there was nearly 100, 200, but when you look at it realistically, I remember seeing probably about 60. There couldn't have been many Rovers fans there, and I thought everyone was split up. I was at the top. I was with Steve Hady, former player Paul Fletcher who we've got on the podcast um, before Rovers legend. We was all sat at the top. Um, and we were separated from Adj and all the other guys. Piddy was at the bottom. And it, there was no atmosphere from the Rovers. And it was so hard. It's such a hostile environment. Fair play. Because that Catalan's atmosphere was electric. And now with Toulouse coming up, which we'll discuss, it is great for the sport, in my opinion. I know people are divided on it. But I just thought Rovers couldn't... They couldn't get out of second gear, mate. Abdul struggled. We we liked them high kicks to Arthur Morg, but the bounce was very lucky every time. Even if he didn't get to the ball, it ended up in his hands on the second attempt. I thought the interception from Josh Drinkwater killed Rovers' spirit, especially in the back end of the second half. Sean Kenny Dowland, Ryan Hall scoring, which was great to see them add to their tally. But for me, mate, I thought as soon as it, the first 20 minutes, backs against the walls. Will Marr looks really tired. He's put a lot of work in. Albert Vette did. I don't don't know about you watching on telly mate but from the beginning I kind of thought you know what this I don't think we're going to repeat it against Warrington again it didn't help having nine of our um, probably our starting 17 regulars playing but we don't make excuses we've got there in the semi-final that was the team we beat Warrington with barring a few Rovers did amazing to get there but I just think going to the south of France was too much for all Kingston Rovers. How did you find it watching on the telly, mate? For me, it was a very weird 36 hours. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to make excuses, but, you know, you're travelling over without nine first-team players, you're playing, you're travelling over with a patched-up squad, players carrying injuries, uh, Catalan have had a week off, obviously they're building up that game, to, they've got a sold-out crowd, you know, for them it's almost like a cup final. Obviously, you know, Catalan are a standout team in their own right, you know, they're the league leaders that so the 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 no mugs are they and even though we've run them close this season that they've shown how to get over the line and it was just one of them games I think it was one game too many wasn't it for the boys and there's no doubt if if um you know we travel over there with a fully fit squad or you know we, we definitely run them close. I think the fact that Corbin Sims and George Lawler weren't able to play we could have really done with them couldn't we but then again it depends how fit they'd have been and, and whether they'd have been able to make a a real telling contribution but for me what stood out is not just that they look physically tired I think mentally that they look tired and you know you mentioned the Josh Drinkwater try um I think that just really 
I think when Rovers saw him going over and he was running, obviously, to that packed stand, you know, you saw the Catalans uh, supporters cheering and you can see Rovers just getting a bit weary and, and a bit leggy. And, and credit to them, though, because they could have folded. They could have really folded and, and Catalan could have really ran away with it. Uh, but they didn't. And I think that's a real credit to this team that we've, we've been craving for so long that um, they've got resilience and they've got pride and they've got passion and they've got a belief that, that even if they're going to lose, they're not going to lose by um, 20, 30, 40 points. They're going to dig in. And, and and that team spirit and that work ethic that's been instilled into these players is going to stand us in really good stead, I think. And, and you know, the, the coverage you sent over, Joe, was fantastic. You know, we had people commenting saying that it felt like they were there. That you know, we had the we had the the travels from the airport. We had people singing in the square. Um, you know, it, it was credit to you, Joe. The only thing is, you didn't bring back any cigarettes or alcohol, did you, from the duty free? Which is which is obviously a disappointment, as I'm sure you could have made a bit of money on that. But a fantastic occasion, fantastic to be part of it. But I just think, you know, it's something we need to to to. Um, reflect on and, and use as energy for us going forward into next season. Yeah, well, remember I was babysitting Dave Bond as well, mate. And a funny story before we move on, I hadn't even spoke to you about it. Basically, we the only uh, we could go from Barcelona Airport, and we, we meant that I didn't, we didn't get in until about two, three a.m. after then after the game, and we was up at half five. We had to walk to a bus station, which was about five minutes away. Hung over, dying, just quick change of clothes, quick shower, get out there. It was freezing, half five, walking through the streets of Perpignan. We got to um, a bus stop, said, all right, it's coming. It was 20 minutes away. That was going to take us to Barcelona. Half an hour went, 40 minutes went. Luckily, there was two Rovers fans who me and Dave actually ended up having to get a taxi, which cost us £85 each to Barcelona Airport because the bus brought down in Montpellier. So on top of Rovers losing in a semi-final, nearly missing our flights at Barcelona Airport, I was another 85 quid down and you know me. <laughs> I'm as tight as a submarine. Star. <laughs> I was. Um, I had some choice words for Dave on the way home. We um, we didn't really speak because the air was blue. But we saw Hulkingston Rovers in a semi-final, guys. And again, yeah, thanks to everyone who commented. I really enjoyed enjoyed bringing you all the content. So, Chris, Rovers finished. Hulkingston Rovers finished six in the Super League in 2021, playing 20 games, winning 10, losing 10, scoring 497 points conceding 458 points with a points difference of plus 39. It must be the first time we've finished with a plus points difference in a long time, mate. So that is the season wrapped up. Thanks again, guys, for listening. We're now going to discuss our awards. Obviously, we announced that Sean Kenny Dow was our player of the year. We um, Again, we wanted to get Sean on the podcast. We speak to Sean regularly. He's a great, he loves the podcast. He listens to it. Unfortunately, the media team are quite adamant that they don't want nothing to do with us. They don't want to be affiliated with us. And that's absolutely fine, you know. But unfortunately, we've had a lot of a lot of players who said that they'd like to have come on. And especially Sean, it'd have been great, Chris, wouldn't it? We are going to give him the trophy when he's back off holidays with his partner in Cornwall at the minute. But we can't get him on the podcast. But maybe at the end of next year when he probably hangs his boots up, mate. I can't wait to get him on because he's a great bloke who always messages us, doesn't he? Yeah, and just just so everybody knows, obviously we 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 announced he was our player of the year, and he sent a message. But the message included a thanks to all Rovers fans for the support that they've given the boys this season and the support he's received. And and, and reading the messages, Sean Kenny Dowell's loving life at Oakington Rovers at the moment, and and I think we're loving him being our captain. 
yes, we really are, mate. I think he's a great leader in a, and a great example to people on and off the pitch. So we know that Sean Kenny Dow was our player of the year, a joint player of the year for him, me and Chris. Listen to um, our reporter, Luke Flanagan, freelance reporter who works for Vavil. Check his work out, guys. He's going to be with Wilkinston Rovers again next year. And he did a little segment on what me and Chris think of Sean Kenny Dow. Right. Game of the season, mate. For me, I think you've got the Wigan away, the Wigan at home, but and Castleford. But I don't think nothing's going to beat that um, quarter-final victory at Warrington. We've spoke about how special it was. For me, that was the game of the season. Yeah, I've looked at it two ways. I've looked at it probably the most entertaining game or the most important game of the season. And there's no doubt that Warrington game, you know, it is is right. It's one of the best games that Rovers have played in Super League in our history, isn't it? So there's there's no doubt about that. We obviously have the Castleford game at home, the Wigan game at home. For me though, the most important game of this season was the uh, Huddersfield victory early on in the first yeah. first part of the season when we uh, defeated them 25-24. Obviously, it was only our third league game of the season, and we'd already lost to Catalan Saints. And Castleford, uh, you already mentioned Ben Crook scored the fastest try. We won it with a, an Abdul late drop goal, and there was a bit of controversy in the game, weren't there, with that Chris McQueen try that should nowhere have near have been given. We had last Lee Gaskell diving all over the place, and obviously Ethan Ryan coming up in the last minute with that um, momentous tackle, which which pretty much won the game for Rovers. Uh, but for me, I think if we'd have lost that game, it's hard to say, but. We'd have been on a bit of a downer going into into the uh, the rest of the season, and for me, that was probably the most important victory that that we achieved um, because I think that set us on the on the path to to where we ended up. Perfect. So you're saying the Huddersfield game. I'm saying the Warrington away victory in the quarterfinal. For you guys listening, when we go through the segments, when you finally listen to the review, messages and stuff, and we'll retweet it, share it, have your opinions, what you think of our um, tries, tackles, everything we're going to discuss. So that was the game of the season, mate. The tackle of the season, we're going to go off what the Rovers um, Player of the Year awards went off them four tackles. For me, I don't think you can um, go far away from actually what the award was. I'm going to say Louis Johnson against Wigan and um, Sam Powell over the line. The strength, the, the contact that he had initially wasn't 100%. He was losing the ruck there and Sam Powell's done that for years. Uh, you know, when he worked with Mickey McAlore and when he was at Wigan, they've always done that dart near the lines. And Louis Johnson, it was backs against the wall, with being travelled 60 metres down the pitch, so there was tired legs. That tackle on Sam Powell, mate, and then we went up and scored back-to-back tries after that tackle. So for me, I'd say that's the most important tackle of the season. Yeah, never mind a brick wall. It was like a bloody wonder wall, wasn't it? I mean, how he, how, he, how he got his body in the way and stuff. And I think that typified Louis Johnson all season. And if you look at the Rovers' options, what they presented as with for the tra- uh, tackle of the season, you know, they're all different in their own right. They're all different styles of tackle. You know, traditionally it's normally someone who gets a big hit in it, a forward. You know, putting a big hit on someone else and knocking them on their ass. Um, you know, so it was really difficult to judge. But I think I think Louis Johnson deserves it just for his for for not just for the tackle, but the way he's performed this season and and now he's stood up and now he's really responded to regular first team rugby. So, so yeah, I, I can't di- not disagree with that. Perfect. So we both agree on that. Now, one that's going to spark debate, definitely, mate, is the try of the season. 
I haven't picked it yet. I'm narrowing it down to two. I'm narrowing it down to individual. If we were looking at an individual try, it's got to be Mikey's, that chip over against Warrington. But I think my try of the season is probably Jez's against Wigan, just the way it was set up from the kickoff. George King doing that little um, 20 metre face ball that ended up getting to Matty Staunton, who ran 60 metres. Jez picked it up, passed it to Parcel, onto Minikin, who fed it back inside to Jez. Back to back tries that killed Wigan off, and a great moment. Jez scoring in front of his parents in the North Stand. A fantastic atmosphere all around the stadium. So for me, I think if you're going off individual, it's got to be Mikey's what a piece of skill and what a talent he is. And that off the cuff, he's been brilliant this year. Obviously a big future and a long, long way for him to go. Same as Jez Layton, but I don't know, mate. I'm going to say, because it was a team try, I think I'm going to swear to the latter. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you're looking at it from, you know, a team try in terms of, you know, putting five, ten passes together and, and someone scooting over or... Or do you go for someone who's showed a bit of individual brilliance? Um, and, and there's no there's no denying, you know, Michael Lucy's try against Warrant and he's a real shaker maker, isn't he? He's just he just he's created magic and he's really come on this uh, towards the end of the season. Um one try that I'm surprised I haven't got much mention was Rowan Milnes against the Bindippers. Yeah, the chip making through. Yeah, I think it was a fantastic bit of skill and also the, the point it came in the game was really important for us. Um and I'm surprised that's not got more attention so I've narrowed it down to Lucy's versus Warren and, and, and Milne's versus Hull but just for the fact it was a victory I'm going to go for, for Mikey Lewis's against Warrington Perfect so you've got Mikey Lewis I've said Jez against Wigan we now move on to the young player of the year I have narrowed this down mate to Stoughton Johnson and Lytton um, I think they all deserve credit in their own right I feel like I need to give it to all three of them Jez for his work with Matt Parcell, working around the rook, the speed, the performances he's put in, he's really developing, he's got another four years, minimum in red and white, he's loving it at the club, Matty Stoughton turning into a prop now and out and out the fall with the stick he gets in the middle of the park, he's trimmed off a bit since he signed last season, he runs defence for his life and Louis Johnson would just give him a lot of praise mate, when he signed, I thought he's going to be a squad player. He's not going to get much game time. I'd say he's played at least eighty percent of the games, hasn't he? He didn't play. Much I think nineteen. Is it nineteen or twenty games he's played? Yeah. 19. So yeah, got out of 23, 24 with the cup games. So yeah, Louis Johnson's been fantastic, mate. Um, so I don't know. I'm good. I think all three of them could deserve it, mate. I don't know. Yeah, and what they've what they've really done is cement their places in the team for next season. Um, yeah. Like you said, Johnson. You know, to to to. Um, come in and, and you know like many people thought he'd probably be considered a backup player but to to play as many games as he had and also towards the end of the season to play with injuries and, and really put his hand up for the team Stoughton has, has come on and stood up when other players such as Vette and Sims have been missing we've had Matty Stoughton come in and, and really put shifts in and I think against Leeds that um, game after the cast one he played you know a full 80 minutes so he's got a real engine, so I, I think he's he's a worthy shout and Jez Litton. And what impressed me with Litton was the, the performance he put in against Warrington when, you know, he's been coming on with Parcel, hasn't he? And he's been interchanging. Uh, but he showed that he can he can lead the team on his own. And and I think Rose are going to be in a really good place with uh, players like Jez Litton, Matty Stoughton and Louis Johnson um, in and around that, that first team. So... You know, I picked the, three, the same three players as what you picked, Joe. I didn't know what you who you was going to put down, and you know, I can make an argument for for all three. But I suppose I support the club in in in, in giving the young player the year to Jez Litton. 
Yeah, definitely. So all three deserve a mention, but for me and Chris and the club, Jez Litton is our Young Player of the Year. So that is the awards, mate. All positive so far. I just want to speak about a few negatives just before we move on to recruitment. England calls up. England calls up, sorry, the assistant coaches signing another deal. The negatives for me, you look at it in all different ways. Obviously, you look at Minchella maybe getting an inj- um, a season injury, but he's really positive. He'll be ready to go for 2022, same as Ethan Ryan, Dean Hadley, Matt Parcell. Negatives was definitely injuries. COVID was definitely a negative, but we seem to have put that to the back now. But for me, overseas signings, I think we mentioned Albert Vette has probably been the best out of the trio that we need to not call out. I don't mean that. But we're obviously talking about Vette, Takarangi and Sims. Again, we saw what Kenny Dow did in his first year. And look at us now. He's a friend of the podcast. He's our player of the year. He's captain in the side and scoring eight tries and getting 13 try assists. Should have been in the team of the year. Same as Kane Lynette, who had a shaky first year. Mr. Consistent. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I know it's tough, especially for Sims, whose family's not over here. It's just for them to not deliver on the pitch and still Rovers consistently and probably have more bad games than good games and for Rovers still to finish fourth um, to finish fourth in the obviously losing in a semi so you're in the top four aren't you realistically but if they can perform next year and the local lads the English boys even around the Ireland internationals if them boys can keep carrying on Rovers are going to be a much better teammate Vete Sims don't seem fit they need to have a big pre-season they didn't have a full pre-season with us due to Covid flying over Takarangi again we've seen him in glimpses and then sometimes it looks like he's never played a game of rugby in his life some of the passes he throws his defensive positioning obviously I'm hoping Sims gets to go home for Christmas gets to see his family maybe one of them could come over that would help him settle but Vete and Takarangi all their family are over now they're settled they're going to have a pre-season hopefully a massive pre-season pick up no injuries and they'll be fighting fit come January when the first pre-season matches they're my only negatives this year mate realistically and that's not a bad thing because we need to stuff to work on Rovers aren't a finished product Rovers need to work on a lot of things we've been carried by passion and heart this year but sometimes you've got to have a bit more skill as well and I know Rovers and Tony Smith Danny Maguire Stanley and Dave Hodgson will definitely be working towards that in 2022 yeah, and, and you know, if them players are honest, they must admit that they've not had the, the best season they've, they've ever had. There's, there's no doubt about that. And it's been a difficult season. You know, we, we reviewed it in, in just a few minutes, but it's been a really long season. COVID affected, play, you know, starting the season, not playing in front of crowds. You know, Takarangi, Vete, uh, Sims have all picked up injuries during the season. Um I think what will really benefit him is, and I think Tony Smith's got him back in for pre-season at the start of November, hasn't he? He's getting yeah. a full pre-season under the belt uh, in this country. The COVID situation in, in Australia at the moment means that they might not be able to return home anyway. And, and really, is is that the best thing for Rovers? Um, you know, them going back to Oz or anything like that. I think they need to stay here. They need to, to have a full pre-season at Rovers. Um, and, and they need to, just to get get more time in the city at the club under the belts because I think once the season starts, if they manage to do that, we've seen seen what benefit SKD's had, uh, what benefits brought to Kane Lynette in terms of having that shaky fair season and then having a full pre-season and going into next season. So, you know, I, I think the, the exciting thing is, mate, is that there's more to come. You know, it's not the end. Um, there's no gas panic. It's not, 
it's not the end. You know, there's plenty more to come. And the fact we've been able to achieve such a good position and get into the playoffs on the back of our, you know, most highly anticipated overseas recruits in a number of years not performing that well is is bodes well for us. I think the only negative for me is 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 sometimes how easy we concede points. Yeah. And I think if we're really going to build on on this season, because next season is going to be tough. You know, teams are building. You look at the recruitment Cass have made. You don't expect Huddersfield to be as bad. Um, you know, you've, you've already got a, better, you've got a better promoted team in Toulouse. Yeah, you, I don't think Toulouse are going to be cannon fodder. You know, I think they're going to p- probably spring on a few more victories than what Lee did. It's going to be tough next season, mate. So we we, we need to be in the ground running from the start. We can't afford to be writing off games at the start of the season. And and key to that is is our ability to to stop conceding points so easily. And I think if we shake that out, because we saw towards the end of the season, when we need to, you know, we can dig in. And and I think that's, I hope that's how we start the season because it's going to be really competitive next year. Yeah, and I know Stanley Jean's obviously working on the defence. He's the defensive coach. Dave Oddshaw on the wing as well. He's He can work with the wingers. But we do. We need to be a bit tighter in defence, mate, especially next year. The marquee players, you look at Leeds, they're going to have Austin and Caesar in the halves. You've got Cerrone coming over for Saints. They're recruiting well. Obviously, we move on to recruitment. I don't think it's worth us maybe speaking about the ins because we know the ins. And when we do our preview, obviously, maybe in January with um, when we have a bit of time off from the podcast, I don't want to speak about it now and then speak about it on the next one. So we know who's coming in. We know at the moment it's Lachlan Coote, which is the star of the show, obviously, a grand final winner again for St. Helens. We can't wait to see him in East Hull. Frankie Halton of Featherstone, Tom Garrett from Dewsbury, Sam Wood from Huddersfield, Phoenix Luali Tonganga from Keithley, Greg Richards from London and Max Kertbright, Daniel Acora and Connor Moore will be with the first team next year from Hull KR's Academy. We will speak in depth about all them players in January when we do a 2022 season preview. But this is a review of this season, so we need to speak about the guys who are leaving. We know that George Lawler is going to Castleford. Owen Harrison signed for Dewsbury Rams. Joe Keyes is signed for Halifax. Greg Minikin is going to Warrington after doing his ACL. Muz Mustafa is returning to the Leeds Rhinos on loan. And at the moment, Adam Quinlan, we do not know his destination. I think it's probably the right time to announce this now, mate. We're really grateful um, that Adam Quinlan and George Lawler, this isn't the final show, it's the penultimate show. We've got one more for you. We're going to have an half an hour each interview with George and Adam Quinlan speaking about their times in Rovers. And you look at them two, mate, no disrespect to the other guys, but there isn't much to write home about their Rovers careers. George Lawler's seen relegation, promotion, made his debut in 2015. I've mentioned what a player is to play with, how good he's been for Rovers. He's moving to Castleford. Adam Quinlan, it hasn't worked for all Kingston Rovers. He's been here five years. Every season, he's missed at least five to ten games with injury. But what a player on his day, mate. I'm looking forward to speaking to them too. And at the moment, apart from George and Quinlan, you'd have expected all the rest to leave. What do you want to say about the guys who are leaving the Robins? Yeah, it's um, you know it's a shame, isn't it? In reality, mate, I think the Lawler one is still a bit a bit raw, isn't it? You know, yep. no one's forever, um, but. It's a bit raw because he's going to Cass in his prime, probably. You know, and I expect he's going to really kick on at, at Cass. So it's a bit of a shame because he was outstanding this season for us. And and him and George King, you know, they they were really ripping into teams, weren't they, at the start of the season? So it is it is a bit disappointing. And, and Quinlan, you know, he, he's he's lit up games for us. He, some of the tries he scored, some of his attacking plays being immense. And 
He's also been strong in defence and, and he's put his body on the line for the team, hasn't he? And it's, it's not worked out in terms of injuries and, you know, it's, it's you know, it's just not worked out for him in terms of the team success. And But, you know, the, the same goes once Robin, uh, always Robin, doesn't it? And, and, and we firmly believe that these boys have put in 100% effort while at the club and they've played a, a pivotal role in, in, in where we've been. So... You know, our respect goes out to them and it's going to be great to chat to them about their memories of playing for Kingston Rovers, how they feel about the fans, where they see themselves heading, you know, the next stages of their career. Quinlan's not announced anything yet, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with him. Um, but, you know, the move on, you know, the team will move on and, and, and we're already starting to get excited next season about the signings we've made and, and where we're heading as a team. But I think it's also important that our supporters, we, we thank the players who put 100% into representing the team and, and wearing the red and white of all Kingston Rovers. Yeah, definitely. And for you guys listening, obviously, we're recording this on the 13th of October. It'll be out tomorrow, the Thursday, and you'll know that by the time you're listening. We are going to probably release it in, record it in about two or three weeks. Obviously, George's partner, Grace, heavily pregnant. I think she's eight and a half months since. So obviously, we're expecting her to give birth anytime soon. So, we want him to get that done first. Obviously, that's more important. Adam Quinlan's in Santorini with Matt Parcell and his partner. They're there for another two weeks, so it's going to be a bit of time, guys, between podcasts, so bear with us, and that'll be the last one of the year. So we know the ins and outs, mate, we've done the review, but it's nice that Rovers are actually being recognised on the international stage. We know that George Lawler, obviously, he is moving to Castleford, but he's still a Robin at this moment. Him and Mikey Lewis are going to be playing for England Knights against Jamaica at Castleford for Jordan Turner's testimonial. But I thought Matty Stone could have been in with a shout there. Louis Johnson, Jez Litton. You've got Aaron Smith, who's played about four games all year at Hooker. And I know Danny Walker's great for Warrington. But you've got that Adam, um, for Aaron Smith, who's got in over Jez. And people have got in over Stoughton. Morgan Gannon, I think he's been outstanding. But another Leeds player's got in. Levi Edwards, I think he hasn't played much. So I'm, afraid, I'm sad to see that not many Rovers players have got in who should have been. They all fit in the England Knights bracket, but they're probably... The and the difference is as well, mate, these got, ones you just mentioned have been playing regularly. They've been playing... Well, think, and they've been in a top... They've got to a semi-final, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's If you're going on form, Chris, I, don't, we, I mean, we love international England, don't we? We want England to do well and we'll speak about it soon. Obviously, we'll do more stuff for the World Cup next year as well with a podcast, but just like to see a bit more recognition, mate. But finally... For the first time, probably, you look at Josh Hudson when he was in the first-team squad, but he was moving to Canberra. So you go back to the days of Peter Fox and Sean Briscoe, and we've actually got, it's not announced yet, and I hope they don't make us look silly and he don't get announced in the end. But at the moment, we do believe Jordan Abdul's going to start next week in the halves for England against France at the Stade Gilbert Brutiste. Absolutely fantastic. He deserves it. He's been the in-form halfback. It might be partnered probably with George Williams or Widder. I imagine that the guys from Saints and um, maybe won't play just because they've had a you know a week off to recover and they've been on the piss all week. But how good is it to see foremost Mikey Lewis and George playing for the Knights? That's going to be a great occasion. I don't know if it's on telly. I wouldn't have minded going, but it'll be hard on a Friday, mate, with work commitments. But next week on BBC, let's hope we see Jordan Abdel wearing this um, number seven shirt for England, mate, against a good, young, up-and-coming French side. Great accolade for the Robins, mate, having three in the camps. Yeah, and and it's amazing, isn't it? So you've got Mikey Lewis potentially playing in the halves for the Knights and you've got Jordan Abdul potentially playing in the halves for the for the full England side. So it just probably highlights to us uh, how important um, Jordan Abdul is. So although he's not got the player of the season... Um, he's been amazing, mate. Man of Steel he, nominee. He's almost gone... He's almost gone... Not unrecognised, but he's almost... 
do we take him for granted in a way? Because his his game when Rovers play, our game is just so much better, isn't it? It's so much more fluent. There seems to be so much more attacking prowess, and and it's it's just you know if he does feature for the for the full England side, it's just rewards for for another fantastic season and. People still forget. I remember us talking at the start of the season about how young Jordan Abdul actually is. Um, and obviously, Michael Lewis has been rewarded for his, his, his fantastic end to the season and how he's developed. You know, he's been out on loan at York, um, played at Wembley, he's come back to Rovers. He's become a, a star man for us. You know, at times people thought Milnes might be picked over Lewis. You know, Milnes came in. You know, another talented English halfback we've got in our in our team at the moment, mate. I think, you know, we can't forget about Rowan Mills and, you know, his, his contribution to the side this season. So, so all round, it's exciting. But I think it's just rewards for Mikey Lewis and, and Jordan Abdul. And I'm excited to, looking forward to seeing him play. One player who's not going to be making uh, his international debut is Louis Johnson after he's turned down uh, his call-up to the Jamaica team. Um, and I, sh- I think it shows his commitment to the side. He, he's, he's decided he'd rather rest up. Um, then go and feature for Jamaica, which is a big call for him, isn't it, to to turn down a, a call up to to represent Jamaica. The playing of England Knights in Scotland, but it's credit to him and and how he sees his Rovers career and, and where he sees himself heading. So um, it's it's an exciting last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, and I, I think it's not announced yet, but I know Kane Lynette and Lachlan Koo are in the squad, Scotland squad, but I do believe that they're not going to be playing as well. I know Kane Lynette, is, I think he's put his hand up and said, look, I, I don't think I'm going to put my... Obviously, they'll all be in the World Cup next year. Louis Johnson will probably be playing for Jamaica. We'll have people playing for Ireland, Scotland and all. You name it, we'll have a lot of internationals at next year's World Cup, which will be brilliant. But at the moment... It's kind of like I'm hoping they just play the Championship and League One players because it's great for them to play for their countries. We've had a tough season. We don't want anyone picking up an injury. People need to rest and recover. But we know that George Lawler, Mikey Lewis and Jordan Abdul will be playing for England and England Knights against Jamaica and France, respectively. So... Final few segments, mate. It's been great to talk. It's coming to the end. Obviously, we know we've got the two lads coming on the show in the next few weeks. But I think how vital the players have been, how vital Paul Lakin's been, how vital the fans have been. You can't underestimate what Tony Smith and his three coaches have done, mate. And the announcement last week that the three assistant coaches of Hull Kingston Rovers have kept them uh, contract extensions, a one-year deal, keeping them until the end of 2022. Um Danny Maguire, David Hodgson, Stanley Jean have all supported Smith this year, contributing to a much improved campaign. We know that Stanley does more of the defensive work. We know Dave Hodgson works with the outside backs and more of the mentoring the young kids. And they're in a better halfback coach and leader than Danny Maguire, probably the greatest Super League player of all time. Again, it's a year deal, mate. I know they like to do these rolling contracts, but we know that them three are going to be staying. I'm just hoping maybe in six or seven months we're still progressing on the field and off the field and we can announce that them three and Tony Smith have all signed three-year extensions because I believe we need to keep the core coaching staff We've had the likes of Willie Poaching out, we've with Sander Cork, Morgan, we've changed coaches, we've changed assistants, we had Andrew Webster back in the day, but I feel these three know what it is to pull on an old Kingston Rovers shirt, and especially Danny Maggs, with his leadership and vision for the club, I think he's definitely maybe in line in the next certain amount of years to be a head coach, and I'd love that to be with us, obviously we want a successful stint with Tony first, but how good are them coaches staying another year, mate, it's more for the club as well and the players they love all the coaches they think they're great they work really well together and long may it continue mate but Gene Hodgson Maguire and Smith all here for um, the remainder of 2022 long may it continue 
Yeah, and it's been it's obviously part of the club's philosophy, isn't it? Not to make too many changes. Obviously, we don't want we haven't seen wholesale changes in the playing squad in terms of you know big big um, turnover of players. And I think key to that is keeping the coaching squad in place because they're they're vital to this journey of making us a a team that's regularly competing in playoffs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the succession plan is in terms of Tony Smith because you've got to imagine he's not going to be around forever he's been he's had a long career in rugby league and obviously he's got his he's got his buzz back for rugby hasn't he um so it'd be interesting to see who comes in and takes over from tony smith whether danny mcguire has been groomed i don't see dave hodgson as being a head coach no no and whether dave danny mcguire is the man to take over as head coach who knows um but i think that they've they've really played a part in in, in helping this team and, and when you look at you know we've been talking about jordan abdul and Mikey Lewis in their international selection, you know, they're learning off one of the best players in the game, aren't they, Danny Maguire? Um, so it, it, it bodes well for them too, and, and it bodes well for us as a club. Uh, and I'm delighted that they're going to be staying around for, for a little bit longer because I think with them at the helm and and, and then part of the, the group, I think it's going to be a, an exciting future for Rovers for at least the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely, mate. And like I said, we're going to do the preview, aren't we? A massive, to probably a two-hour one, doing all squad numbers, ins and outs, injuries, all that. The season will be out, the fixtures, Magic Weekend. We'll have loads to talk about, mate. But literally, in a nutshell, probably before we go on to our final topic, which will be Toulouse getting promoted, that's it for all Kingston Rovers this year. It's been great, hasn't it, mate? But we know next year, Super is going to look a little bit different. We know it's going to have Castleford, Catalan, Huddersfield, Hull FC, Hull KR, Leeds Rhinos, Salford Red Devils, St Helens, Wakefield, Warrington Wigan and another team from the south of France, Toulouse Olympic, mate. We've played Toulouse a few times. I went over in 2017. I know you've been, and you? Great. I like it. I prefer it to Perpignan. I won't lie to you. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they bring. I think people go on about expansion. The wrong word is expansion. Toulouse have been going probably the same for about 80 years, I read. You know, it's not expanding. It's just developing. You're having these teams who are going to come up. And yeah, it might affect the attendances. People always go to Catalan and they might go to Toulouse now. But to have that French derby, then French connections, it's... It's only going to benefit the sport, mate. You saw 9,000 people was there. Imagine if Rovers go and there's about um, 500 Rovers fans on Easter or something, or something daft like that. You're going to be talking over 10,000. That's nearly 7,000 more than the likes of Salford, Wakefield, Huddersfield. If people think that's bad for the sport, then they're living in the wrong. They're living in the wrong generation, mate. I think it's great. It's going to make Magic Weekend a bit more spicier. I'm hoping to see the Derby's return at Newcastle next year because that'll add attendance and value for money. But yeah, I'm happy to lose came up. Obviously, it was a bit of a, a easy million pound game, not like ours, which we don't speak about anymore. But 34-12 there beat Featherston. Um, did you watch any of it, mate? Because I feel like they're good for the money, the good value. But you have got the likes of Garb and Varvayu was not good enough for Rovers when we was bottom of the league. I do think they will get caught out. I feel like Mark Carella, Jonathan Ford, Anthony Marion, and um, they're vital for them in Super League, and they're losing a massive leader in Remy Castillo's retiring, mate. But yeah, I'm glad to see Toulouse um, in Super League, and they're for two French trips next year. Yeah, it's going to be. Um, I get. Do you know what? I get one thing. I get sick of talking about is is the. Is the off-field stuff in rugby league? You know the the structure of the game, where it's heading. Why can't we just appreciate that we've got a team who's got promoted on merit, and, yeah. and that's where they are. That you know they're, they're in our league because they deserve to be, because they've won the games that that they needed to win. So you know credit to Toulouse for doing that. I'd have felt exactly the same as if Featherstone got promoted. You know I've got 
you know, I don't know what, why people have such bitterness towards, um, you know, Feverson or to to lose whether whoever got promoted. I just think you should enjoy the spectacle of the game, enjoy enjoy what the game is, what they might bring to it, and 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 don't worry about the off-field stuff because there's there's plenty of other people doing that at the moment. Um, I think next season, you know, we mentioned that the the there might be a, a bit better than what Lee was, but it's still going to be very tough. You just mentioned some of the players who they've got and who have got them to this position, and obviously Remy Casti's retired. They're going to have to do some good recruitment. I suppose it's a lot easier for them to recruit. You know, if, if you look overseas to the NRL, etc., it'll be a lot easier for them to recruit. Saying come come over here to live in, in Toulouse rather than it would be come over here to live in Wakefield or somewhere like that. Or yeah, so you know, in that respect, and it seems like they've got financial backing as well. Um, and I think they're going to be playing all their games next season at the. Uh, Star Toulon, which is is fantastic stadium. It's what they share with a with a football team, so they've got an opportunity to grow. So it's going to be interesting, mate. It's going to be it's going to be another one. It's not going to be an easy game for Rovers. You know, hopefully we'll be able to get over there to Toulouse. Um, it is a great place to go watch rugby league. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, but do you know what I mean? It, it's just one of them things where I just get sick of talking about off field issues. You know, it's all we seem to talk about. Let's enjoy the product. Let's enjoy what happens on the pitch, and and let's focus on that more than about the the governance and the the organisation. Yeah, I agree, mate. So congratulations to Toulouse Olympique. We will see you next year in Super League 2022. So that is it, guys. Obviously, we've got Adam Quinlan and George Lawler coming on in a few weeks for a goodbye interview. That'll be about half an hour, forty minutes each. So make sure you tune in for that. But for everything, Hulkingston Rovers. We're done, Chris, for the year. I've really enjoyed doing it, mate. And before I do my final um, exit, I've really enjoyed it when, you know, getting the guests on. We've had Justin Morgan double. We set the bar too high. We've had all the Rovers legends on. We're going to get more people on eventually. Obviously, we're both busy at work. We're going to win for bigger and better next year. We've had people from, you know, Gareth Walker from the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror, sorry. Um, we've been on RTV, Humberside, Viking, Betfred. You know, we're getting out there, we're getting connections, and that's the thing, we do it off our own backs. We've both got busy jobs, but we love doing it, don't we? And I love it when the Rovers fans messages and say, look, when's it coming out? They're eager, it's all over the forums, it's all over Facebook. We've generated over 30,000 listens, 25 to 30 countries, people in Iraq, Nigeria, oh man, who'd have thought, man, and your voice would be going on them airwaves, mate, but I've really appreciated doing it with you. You know, thanks for all the time that you give up. You do all the, you know, a lot of the editing, all the photos, the tweets. So I can't, you know, thank you enough for that. I've loved doing it, mate, and long may it continue. Yeah, it's been a really good journey, hasn't it? And, and just so people aware, we're going to have, you know, we've got one more podcast to come. We might fit in a couple more heritage casts before before the new year. We'll have a yeah. bit of a break from the podcast, and then we'll be back in January. You know, ready to go for the new season. So going to be interesting obviously social media wise keep following us on there um you know we'll get great interaction on insta facebook twitter um it's great to be able to speak to to people and speak to the fans and and, and put our opinions across and and listen to, to other people and what i'm just going to announce as well mate is um josh mantelato the heritage cast number five is our latest one to achieve a thousand listens or a thousand plays um, so that's literally breaking so he joins the likes of Clint Newton, Scott Morell, Michael Dobson, Justin Morgan. Uh, he's joined the Thousand Listeners Club. Yeah, that's brilliant, it, mate. I mean, I would have, you know, when we started it, we didn't expect it. Did we thought we'll see where it goes? But yeah, done really well. I think all the fa- all the guests, all the fans, everyone. We've mentioned you a million times. 
people really appreciate and stay with us because we might have a few more episodes this year, but we'll definitely be back for pre-season in January 2022. So this season is over. Toulouse are promoted to Super League. Lee are relegated to the Championship. Catalan Dragons were the league leaders. St. Helens won the Challenge Cup in the Grand Final. And little old old Kingston Rovers were just 80 minutes away from Old Trafford. Can we go one better next year? Thank you to all our guests. And again, thanks to Jenny Brooks, who joined us at the beginning of the show. We appreciate the big names coming on. We know they have a lot of um, they don't have a lot of time on their hands, especially with everything that's going on in the world of rugby league. So for the final time, guys, with me, Jarpliad, Chris Johnson, this has been the Red Robin podcast for 2021. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in January. Up the Robins. Thanks, Chris. Take care.